Once you look again, verse 1 of our text, you'll notice really one of the more foolish and flawed characters in all of the Bible, if not all of history. Verse 1 says, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the fame of Jesus. And he said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. And therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Well, there's our, our boy Herod. The title Tetrarch means ruler. And he's sometimes called King Herod. He wasn't a king, but he acted like one, of course. He is the son of Herod the Great, who you may recall was the Roman Jewish client who ordered the massacre of little boys at the time of Jesus' birth. That means that this guy's daddy, his father, built the third temple. He met the three wise men that people sing about every year, and he was part of two Old Testament prophecies. As far as our text is concerned, this Herod's name is Antipas. And you know, what's most significant about his rule is that Caesar Augustus put him in charge of Galilee and also Perea. And what that means is that Herod Antipas was the ruler. He was the leader, the authority over Mary and Joseph and the Lord Jesus. When I talk to my preacher friends, we occasionally bring up our personal state governors Mike Ray, he pastors in Napa, California. His governor is Gavin Newsom. And of course, his governor hates my governor, Ron DeSantis. Terry Angel, he pastors in Bourbonnais, Illinois. And his governor is J.B. Pritzker. And he's the billionaire, you know, former founder of, uh, of Hyatt, Hyatt Regency. And he's even more progressive than Gavin Newsom. I talked to Chris Griscavitz Friday night, and he lives in Bentonville, Arkansas. And he mentioned that his governor, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, was better than my governor, our governor. <laughs> you know, that's how it goes. Life can differ somewhat, even in a republic like the United States, depending upon whose leadership you happen to be under. A simple shopping trip to Walgreens and Tequesta is a whole different situation than going to a Walgreens in San Francisco or Seattle, for example. Well, imagine if you were our Lord or John the Baptist and your governor, your leader was Herod Antipas, one of the slimiest, one of the most self-indulgent leaders in all of first century Rome. In fact, all you really know, need to know to be truly informed about this man's character, Herod Antipas, is to remember what he did on his birthday. You know, happy birthday to you, and they bring out your gift. His gift was to watch his half-brother's wife, daughter, a teenage girl, dance at his party, and then to make his mistress happy, execute a prisoner, John the Baptist no less, and then bring his head into the same party. All because mommy and daughter don't like him. This was our Lord's governor and his civil authority. Look at verse 6, would you, before we pray. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being beforehand before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here now the party John the Baptist had in a charger or on a plate. 
It is an astonishing thing to realize that Herod Antipas, who had face-to-face meetings with both John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus, met them, talked to them face-to-face, also presided over both of their executions. In fact, almost all of the Lord's apostles, think about this, John, Peter, James, Matthew, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, all of these men would have had to say, Herod Antipas is my governor. You know what that means is what I want us to consider very carefully today. I want to speak on the subject, the king was sorry. You see verse 9 in your text, it says, and the king was sorry. Boy, was he ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we love your word, Father, as David said, more than our necessary food. We need this today, all of us. And I know there are people in this room here and there are those listening somewhere by live stream. We know there are people that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. May today be the day of their salvation by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. There are three observations this morning I want us to consider in light of God's revelation and make no mistake this is God revealing to us all these revelations considering the circumstances in and around the reign of Herod Antipas and the first thing you'll notice number one is a lesson of fear by the way you might think that a man with the power and the prestige and the wealth that Herod Antipas had You might think that all that he had combined, by the way, with his dark conscience, that a guy like that has no fears. I mean, he imprisons, just on a whim, he imprisons a very popular prophet simply because John publicly called out his immorality. And then he goes on and executes that same man simply because a a young girl wants him to. Doesn't sound like a man who's afraid. Except, of course, we know that everyone without God is afraid. Everyone. The devil himself, with all of his power, is afraid. Look at verse 5. And when he would have put him to death, he feared. See, he feared the multitude. Now, wait a minute. Herod was afraid. And the Bible says that he feared the people. Yep, and that's not all that he feared. You'll notice on the screen a very amazing revelation about Herod's actions while John was in prison. For Herod feared John. For Herod feared John, knowing he was a just man and a holy. So not only did Herod fear the multitude, the Bible says, he feared his prisoner. He was afraid of John the Baptist specifically because, verse 20 says, John was a just and holy man. Now let's look at the entire verse, verse 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Now folks, follow this carefully. Herod was drawn to the preaching of John the Baptist. In fact, it's interesting that every single time he made apparently these periodic visits to John's cell or had him come forth, the Bible says that he heard John, quote, gladly. It's even more interesting that the reason why John wanted to hear or or Herod wanted to hear John preach 
It wasn't because it was entertaining. It wasn't because it was humorous or novel. He wasn't the court jester. No, no, it says that Herod feared John and knew that he was a, whole, a holy and a just man. So here you have the most powerful man in Galilee visiting with his Baptist prisoner from time to time, wanting to hear his messages on the kingdom of God and what, what he's all about. It's kind of strange. And to add to all of the strangeness, the Bible mentions yet another point. Verse 20 again. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him. Now follow this carefully. And when he heard him, he did many things. Now folks, the Bible says that every time Herod went to, went to hear John, a message or something, he responded, quote, by doing many things. Now, what did he do? What many things? I don't know. Maybe he mitigated some wrongs in the kingdom. Maybe he started some programs for the poor. Maybe he drank less and he cursed less and he gambled less. We don't even know. But whatever it was, the preaching of John convicted his heart so that the Scripture says he did many things. Wait a minute. Because the Bible tells us and makes crystal clear that in spite of Herod being glad about John's preaching, and in spite of doing whatever things that he did in response to John the Baptist preaching and teaching, he still went ahead and did the most horrible thing imaginable. He sent for an executioner. And he beheaded. He commanded John's head to be brought to that party. How in the world can any man... Listen to anointed preaching, be glad about that preaching, be motivated to act by that same preaching, have great respect for the preacher himself, and still determined to put him to death. How does that happen, Pastor? I can tell you. One way, the fear of man. He feared the people, and he feared John more than he feared God. Look at our text, chapter 14 and verse 9. And the king was sorry. He didn't want to do this, but he did it. Why? Look at it. For the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat. He commanded it to be given her. Verse 11, his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel. That means a young girl, a teenager, and she brought it to her mother. I'll say it again. Herod had the fear of man, but not the fear of God. And ultimately, that is why he took John's life. Because the oath that he took before, quote, many men led to greater fear than the one man. Truly the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of God, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. It is no wonder that Herod Antipas, with all of his elite education, with all of his advantage and position and wealth, that this man had absolutely no discernment when it came to truth. No discernment when it came to light. Folks, listen. He was an eyewitness to more glory, to more of the light of God than maybe any man in history, again, he had a personal audience with John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus, and yet his heart was so full of darkness, so close to so much light. I'm reminded of Felix and Agrippa and Festus. They were also rulers of Rome, and they were so close. Remember, Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. 
They also called for Paul. Let's listen to this guy. They also listened to the gospel. They also listened to his preaching. So why almost? You may remember it says that Festus, quote, willing to do the Jews a pleasure kept Paul bound. That's why. It was the fear of man. It is the fear of man, young people, that will cause you to do something that you would never otherwise do. So what's the answer? Fear God. There's a second thing in the text. A lesson of fear. Number two, you'll notice there's a lesson of faith. Chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. How did Herod hear about, quote, the fame of Jesus? What was it that Jesus was famous for? Well, the answer is in Herod's own words. Because he says in verse 2, Therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in this man, Jesus. Mighty works. By the way, it's very interesting, is it not? It's interesting that instead of trusting the one who's actually doing the mighty works, instead of putting his faith in Jesus, Herod resorts to what is essentially superstition and religion. He says, Jesus is doing these things, these mighty works. He's John the Baptist risen from the dead. This is why he was also, quote, doing many things in response. And of course, this is the very essence of religion. Hear this carefully. The very essence of religion, not the essence of of Christianity, which are two different things. Religion always focuses on man and attempts Attempts to do a lot of things, especially things that are esteemed by your fellow man. I'll remind you that when Herod heard of Jesus and his fame in verse 1, John was already dead. So here's a question. All those times in jail, okay, when, when John spoke to him, all of those times when he resorted him and he observed, the Bible says he observed John, he observed his message, and he listened to him preach. Here's a question. What was it that he heard from John? What do you think this morning that John told Herod Antipas time after time after time? What would John have given him a message about over and again? Folks, it's not a secret because John only had one message. He was prophesied to come and fulfill one great purpose with one great message. Behold, John said, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John's entire ministry from beginning to end was to prepare the way for Jesus. Prepare the way for Christ. To point to him. He said before his arrest, I must decrease. He must increase. And if there is anything that Herod would have heard from the mouth of John the Baptist, it would have been the truth about Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And you know what? In response to that very preaching, Herod did many things. We're told that he did many things, except for the one thing. He did all this stuff except for the main thing, the one thing he was supposed to do, which was what? Repent and believe. Matthew chapter 3. You can turn there or listen to it. It says these words in verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
For this is he, Jesus is he, that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice, or rather John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the world, prepare you the way of the Lord. That's Jesus. Make his path straight. Verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me, Jesus, is mightier than I, mighter than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Listen, folks. Repent, Herod. This is the message. And believe. Whatever you've been trusting in, repent and believe on Jesus. That was John's message. But Herod, did he do that? He did many things. I don't know what the many things are. Good works. He responded to the preaching by doing stuff. But how about that thing? How about the main thing? How about the message of John the Baptist? That was the message of Jesus Christ himself who came for the sins of the world. How about that thing, Herod? By the way, it is also the message of John's former disciple, Peter. You realize that after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter stood up and he preaches at Pentecost and the people responded to that sermon and they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter said in Acts 2.38, repent. Same message as John the Baptist. Someone says, well, okay, that might be the main thing in Peter's sermon and the beginning of the church, of the New Testament church, and the main thing of John and of Jesus. But what about the message of Paul? What did Paul say was the main thing when he preached, for example, to all the world, to the Gentiles? Well, standing at Mars Hill, the quintessential empire city, preaching to a host of them, the apostles said in Acts 17.30, the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Acts 20, 21, Paul said that he testified both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, you can go all the way to the last book in the Bible. Go to the book of Revelation and read the words of Jesus himself to the seven churches. And here's what he said. For the very first church in Revelation 2, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first work what is the first work faith believe it may be that herod did many noble things in response to john's preaching that he can get him one inch closer to heaven it may have been that he did many noble things that's called religion tragedy is he never did the main thing because he never repented and believed on jesus he never did the one thing he was supposed to do. The word repent is a Greek word, metanoia. It simply means to have a change, a change of heart and a change of mind. And Herod did not have that. He changed some of his actions, apparently. Even in the midst of John's preaching, even as he was doing these many things, where he never changed his heart toward the Lord Jesus Christ. It would not be very long after this text. It says that Herod would turn Jesus away to another authority to have him executed, not interested in the salvation of his own soul. And I have no doubt in my mind, I'm talking to somebody, if not many somebodies in this room right now, you are glad to hear the Word of God, just like Herod. You make a point to hear the Word of God. Some of you listening by live stream, you make a point. You're glad to hear the Word of God. You will listen and talk about that kingdom of God, and perhaps even to the point of doing many things. Some things, religious things. But the main thing, the most important thing, 
the first and the greatest thing of all, you simply will not do and you have not done. You have not repented and trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You will not believe on Christ alone. And just like Herod, you go on in your life hearing the things of God, knowing the people of God, maybe even doing many things for God, and yet all the while in your sins, you have not the simple faith to believe which God requires. First, you get saved. Third lesson in the text. Number one, a lesson of fear. Number two, a lesson of faith. Number three, there's a lesson of focus. Look at verse two, would you? Matthew 14, it says, And he said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. Now, who's John the Baptist? Well, verse 1 says he heard about the fame of Jesus. Jesus going around doing mighty works. But look what he says. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Wait a minute. What? John? John is risen from the dead. Jesus is the one going around doing mighty miracles. Jesus is the one that John told him about over and over and over again. One of Jesus' miracles, one of his mighty works that spread Jesus' fame is just a few chapters before this in Matthew 8 when a Roman centurion servant, oh, he would have heard about this one. That servant is raised by Christ and then two demon-possessed men in the tomb And then in chapter 9, a man sick of the palsy stands as he's never stood before and he walks. And then also in chapter 9, a woman with a blood disease is completely cured and then two blind men are cured and on and on it goes. The Lord Jesus Christ heals the sick, feeds the multitudes, calms the storm, walks on the water, raises to life the little girl from the grave, And Herod's focus, Herod's focus is what? John the Baptist must be risen from the dead. I'll give Herod credit for believing in life after death. But guess what? That was entirely the wrong focus. And I know it's the wrong focus for some folks in this room. It wouldn't matter if John were raised from the dead. That wouldn't have helped him one iota. It wouldn't have been good news for Herod after all. Imagine his wife would say that night, hey, honey, John the Baptist is alive. What? How can he be alive? His head's in my garden. Go kill him again. This would not have been good news. John's resurrection would have been bad news for Herod. It wouldn't have been good news for him or anyone. But the one that John talked about, the one whose fame is now spreading because of his mighty words and works, His resurrection would mean everything. You see, folks, the problem with Herod and all people who remain lost, if you're watching my live stream, you're in this room, is that they don't see the resurrection as God being raised from the dead. Rather, just like Herod, they make it somehow about themselves. Have you ever noticed that every Easter, all of the religions... And the TV shows, they make Easter somehow about themselves. Well, the fact that Jesus rose, it gives us hope. It shows us that, you know, we can persevere or, I don't know, 
bunny rabbits and marshmallow chicks and whatever. But in some ways, it's just a man being raised from the dead, and that's our hope. Folks, that's not our hope. Because in spite of Herod's observations, Jesus Christ was not merely a man. And he wasn't John the Baptist risen from the dead. He wasn't a man with some superlatives added in. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a healer who did mighty works, a martyr or a teacher. Other religions embrace all of that. Gladly they embrace that. The devil would even accept all of that. And by the way, that's why no discerning Christian, no discerning Christian gets excited, all worked up and all impressed. Just because a celebrity or a world leader does many things in response to the Bible. Oh, pastor, so-and-so reads the Bible. And they did this and they did that at our nation's capital. They read the Bible. Really? Don't be surprised if tomorrow that same leader takes off a Baptist head. It's not that shocking. Because you know what, folks? You don't, if you don't repent and believe that Jesus is God, that God died for your sins, that God was buried and God was resurrected and everybody will face Him one day. If you don't believe that, then nothing else really matters. You're still a universe away from being saved and from the truth. Back in 1980, there was an interesting court case in Canada that caught my attention because we were living in Port Huron at the time, just over the bridge from Sarnia, Canada. There was a man named Morris Davy, and he was arrested and he was charged with setting a forest fire up there in Canada. And while I was in jail awaiting time, a police officer there, one of the guards saw him drop to his knees and overheard him pray out loud, please God, Oh, dear God, let me get away with this. Just this once. Ultimately, that police officer's testimony became part of the evidence against him. However, the defense attorney argued that this testimony had to be thrown out. Because, he said, a prayer is a privileged conversation meant to be heard by God. And not, of course, a guard or the police. So the judge had a decision. He, de- he deliberated. And he finally determined, and here's what he said. He said that the word person used in the statutes there in Canada describes someone whose rights are guaranteed, are granted, and upon whom obligations are placed. Thus, communication could only be considered privileged when it's between two people. And since there's no earthly authority who can grant rights to or impose duties upon God, The testimony stood, the judge said. The judge went on to say that God is reality, but wholly other than man. Folks, Herod was a judge who never grasped that, that Jesus was not a mere man. He was not just a good teacher. He was not just there to make people happy and to heal, and now he wants to heal you. He's God. And it is the death of, and the burial and the resurrection of God the Son that must be believed wholly and completely 
for you to have eternal life. You know, not long ago, in our series on the forgotten faithful, we noted in the Gospels that Herod had a steward. A steward steward was a trusted employee, maybe the most trusted, because they were to care for your money, all of your financial affairs. And Herod, this Herod, Herod, his trusted steward was a man named Cusa. He was married to a believer. Cusa was married to a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and her name was Joanna. And you know, if you know the resurrection story, you know that in Luke 24, the Bible says it was Mary and Joanna who were the first to come to the empty tomb. Reminding us again of how much light and how much truth and opportunity Herod Antipas enjoyed. But it's still not as much light as you've enjoyed. It is still not as much evidence and glory and the whole counsel of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit and 2,000 years of preaching the gospel and light in this gospel, this whole globe that you yourself have enjoyed. Christian, I want to say this. The fear of man brings a snare. As surely as Herod and Agrippa and Festus and Felix, as sure as these men were afraid to do what is right because they feared man and not God, the same thing applies to us. If you're afraid of what your neighbor thinks, what your parents think, what the children think, what your colleagues think, more than what God thinks, it's a snare. You'll be trapped. For those in this room who are not sure about your salvation, And you're doing many things because, you know, you're glad to hear some preaching here and there. But you've never done the main thing. I don't care if you were born and raised in this church. You're a little church rug rat, whatever. Doesn't matter if your grandpa was a preacher, your uncle was a preacher, whatever. That doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you've had face-to-face confrontations with Jesus and John the Baptist in your office. Doesn't matter. What matters is if you've done the main thing. The one thing that matters. The only thing that guarantees and grants eternal life. Have you repented? Have you recognized that you're a sinner, that Jesus died for your sins, and have you believed on Him and He alone as your Lord and Savior? That's it. And until you do that, you can't do the other things. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. I'm not exactly sure why the Lord led me to what could be described as a salvation message this morning. But he did. He did. I couldn't get away from it. I'm not exactly sure why there is this additional truth of the fear of men. But he led me to that as well. And I do know, I always know that people listening, people watching, people sitting under the sound of God's word, even for years may not be saved, may not have ever done the main thing, the one thing, the important thing. Pastor Blaylock, I'm here today and I'm a Christian, but I needed this reminder today. I needed to be reminded that the fear of man brings a snare. That the Lord Jesus is not just a good teacher and a healer to make me feel better. But rather, he's God, and he's my Lord and my Savior. 
And I need to live in the fear of God, not the fear of man. As a Christian, Pastor, the Lord has spoken to my heart about something in the message. Who would say that with heads bowed? Would you lift your hands through the building and amen? God bless you. Amen. And amen. If you're here today, if you're watching by live stream, and you have yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, repent the change of mind, change of heart, whatever you think, the many things you're doing to get you to heaven. That somehow they're going to wash away your sins? No. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Get saved today. Don't put it off another day. Pastor Black, that's me. I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I'd like to be sure. I won't embarrass you. Come to you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I want to be sure and I need to. Would you pray for me? Who would say that? Would you lift your hand high enough where we can see you? God bless you. And amen. Anyone else? Pastor, I'm not sure today. Amen. God bless you. At home, watching, wherever you are, live stream, if you're not sure, today's the day. We're going to have a time of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart, obey his voice, won't you? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And Lord, it's bewildering to us to know that a man can speak face-to-face with your son, face-to-face many, many times with the greatest man born among women, John the Baptist, who gave him the word, and yet, because of the fear of man, what will people say? The darkness remained in his heart. May we learn and glean the lessons from that. And may those who are not saved today recognize that there's there's not enough many things they can ever do to wash their sins away. They must repent and believe on Jesus, your son. Bless now the invitation to that end for your people. Draw them to you, Father. May we not, not only be ashamed of Jesus, may we not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God and salvation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.